Good morning, church. Good morning. Glad to see you in the second service. I want to ask if we can just have a word of prayer before we break open the word this morning. Will you pray with me? God, thank you that we have this opportunity to gather this morning in your son's name. And we've been able to come and to just start out by singing songs to you, God. Lord, it's cold outside. Lord, I know that a lot of us have many things that are on our minds as we prepare, Lord, for this week of Thanksgiving. But Father, I want to ask that you would just, Lord, that your spirit would just settle upon each of us that are here this morning. We need you this morning, God. We need to hear from you. So, Lord, where it's cold outside, may it not be cold in this room here. May our hearts be warm towards you and towards one another. So, Father, speak into our hearts from your word what you need for, for us to hear from you today. And we welcome you in this place. And I pray this in the powerful name of Jesus, our Savior. And all God's people said, Amen. All right, are you awake this morning? Glad you are here. Glad you made it despite the crazy weather and forecast for weather. Hope you are getting ready for a great Thanksgiving week. This video that we just watched, I don't know if you've ever had a chance to, to hear about this guy. His name is Nick Vujicic, which is very hard to say, so I'm going to call him Nicky V, okay? And, um, but this guy has an amazing story. His story is so powerful. I encourage you to maybe look him up on YouTube or something like that and hear some of his speeches. But he is a perfect example of someone who, through all of their pain, and he's been through that in his life, and all of the struggles that he has had to wrestle with in his life of, of, of why was I born this way? Why was I born in, in a way that where I didn't have any arms and I don't have any legs? And God, what can you do with that? Where he's been through so much pain and suffering in his life and, and what he's inspiring millions of people because instead of becoming bitter about his life situation, and the pain that he's experienced in his life, and all the questions that go along with why he was born the way that he was born, rather than becoming bitter, or isolated, or withdrawn, or all of these kinds of things that people can make a choice to have in their life, when the circumstances that are in their life are not ideal, rather than that happening, he made a choice to allow our amazing God, through His power, and through His eternal purposes, to redeem all of that pain, and all of that suffering, all of those difficulties, and the brokenness, and the imperfections, and the weaknesses, and to redeem all of that into something that would bring glory to God. And because of that, God's using him to impact millions of people. I was looking up just some of the statistics in, in, in his life that, that he has been able to speak on six continents. He's been able to speak in over 44 different countries, telling his story about what God is doing in his life. And wherever he goes into these countries, he's often invited, although he's a Christian evangelist, he's often invited by those who are in places of power and government within those countries to come and to share his story because he's such a powerful inspiration. He's spoken over 2,000 times. And now, for those of you who are believers, I know this will mean something great to you. Over 500,000 people through his testimony have given their lives to Jesus Christ and become believers and are plugged into a local church because he has shared his story, even in the midst of his pain. A half a million people have been impacted for Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? I mean, that is so powerful to know what God is doing in his life. And I praise the Lord how God will take our brokenness and he will take our weaknesses 
and our pain. And because the kind of God that He is, He can actually begin to redeem it into something that is powerful in the lives that impact the lives of other people. Today, we're wrapping up this series called When Life Gets Hard. And I know for some of you, you're like, praise the Lord, because, man, this has been an emotional series. It's, it's been a struggle for a number of you. I know many of you have also been grateful for this series because it's really challenged you to confront some of the things that have been painful in your life and to begin to actually grieve them in a healthy kind of manner. And that we've been teaching you that God says that it's okay for you to grieve and it's okay for you to mourn. It's okay for you to get, for you to get transparent with Him in your life struggles. And what I want to do with you today is I want to just take you through some passages and this morning focus with you on the fact that God never wants you to waste the pain or the struggles that you have in your life. God wants to show you that even the difficulties that you have been through in your life can actually have purpose in your life if you will cooperate with Him. That He will redeem those things in your life. We know that God has purposes for your life, and He makes that abundantly clear in the Scriptures. We've studied those over and over again. God wants you first to know Him, and to love Him, and to be in relationship with Him, and for you to commune with God, and for you not to just have religion. Anybody can have that. Millions of people have that, and their lives are not any different because of it. In fact, most of their lives are worse off because of religion, okay, which is about bondage and oppression. And that what God wants is for you to have relationship with Him. And what is that called? That's called worship. That's where you walk with Him on a daily basis. And that's one of the purposes in your life is that you were created to be in relationship with God and to walk in a daily love relationship with God in worship with Him. But God also has a purpose in your life for you to know other people. And He puts you on this planet to be able to love other people and, and, and to be able to learn how to love people and to be in relationship not only with Him, but in relationship with others in your life. And what is that called? That's called fellowship. And so you're created to not only love God, but to love other people. Those are the, that's what the whole commandments of God hinge upon is loving God and loving others. What we also know is that God created you to begin to become more like His Son, Jesus. That's what we talked about last week when we were talking about that theological term that's called sanctification, where God will take things in your life and begin to make you more godly, uh, and, and that is called discipleship. So you were created to become more like Christ. So you've got worship, and you have fellowship, and you have discipleship, and we also know this, that God wants you to use the gifts and the talents in your life and the experiences in your life to serve other people. That's called your ministry. And so God has also given you a ministry. And you may not think that you are a minister of Jesus Christ, but if you are a believer, you are a minister. You're a minister whether you're a teacher and coach, or you are a, a person working at the hospital, you are a minister. If you're a truck driver, you're a minister. There was a guy who was in our first service this morning, and he was telling me that he doesn't always get to come to church because a lot of Sundays he's driving all over the country, and he is a truck driver, and so he was able to be here this morning, but he was telling me that his job is actually his greatest place of ministry, and that is a brother that gets it. He understands that as he travels that he is an ambassador of Jesus Christ, and he really makes it his purpose to serve other people as he's a driver, and he's driving all over the country. That's a ministry, okay? But here's another thing that God's given you, is he's given you a mission. That is another purpose in your life is that you have a mission. 
And nobody can explain the mission that God has given you in telling other people about Jesus better than you can with your own life stories and the things that God will use in your life to bring glory to Him. Now, many of you are familiar with these purposes. If you've been around here for any amount of time, you know we went through a series years ago called 40 Days of Purpose where we learned about how we're created to worship and fellowship and have a ministry and, and, and uh, as well as a mission and discipleship. You learn those things. Those are powerful biblical principles. And Pastor Rick Warren of Saddleback Church, is, he's, he's not the one that came up with these purposes, but he, he put them in a great organized form in a book called uh, The Purpose Driven Life you've never read that, that talks about how you were actually created for these specific areas in your life. Now, this is what I want you to catch through this series. Here's what you really need to capture, is that you have these purposes in your life, but what most people don't know is that God will often use the hard things, the painful things, and the struggles in your life to move you closer to fulfilling those purposes. I want to explain that to you today a little bit more. Sadly, though, most people don't experience that. Most people, whenever they go through a hardship in their life, they don't experience what God can do in redeeming that, that, that difficulty in their life. One of the unfortunate things is many people end up going through all of this pain and suffering. And by the way, we said it in our memory verse. Jesus said, in this world, you will have many trials, many trials, and many sorrows. That's what Jesus said. In this world, you're going to experience that one way or the other. All right? It's, it's going to come in your life. It's not a matter of if, it's when it's going to happen and when you're going to experience it. But what most people experience is in the midst of their pain, oftentimes their pain ends up being a waste. And they never learn from their losses. They never profit from their problems. So today... What we're going to be doing as we go into this week of celebrating Thanksgiving, how can we, as Paul said, be thankful in all circumstances? Whenever I first was a believer, and I would see that Paul would say things like, rejoice always. I didn't really get that. I didn't, I didn't, that didn't resonate with me. How can you be joyful whenever thing, things are horrible in your life? I didn't understand how Paul could say something like, be thankful in all circumstances. I didn't realize he didn't say, be thankful for all circumstances. He didn't say that. He said, be thankful in all circumstances. So how do you actually begin to do that? How can you, if you are a believer, go into this week, and maybe you're at the most difficult point you've ever been in in your life, how can you actually have a thankful heart? Well, we can actually be thankful this week and thankful at all times in knowing that even in our hardships, even whenever there are great hurts in our life, that God is still working, that He is still redeeming, that He is still doing something with even the pain and what maybe man meant for evil in my life and what the enemy meant for evil, God, because of who He is, is still working something beyond what I can even see with my eyes. He's working something for good, for His purposes and for His glory. So that's how we can actually be thankful. We know that it's not all for nothing. It's not just for naught in our lives. God wants to use whatever pain you're experiencing in your life. And some of you are going through great emotional pain right now because of some relationships that have fallen apart. 
Some of you are going through physical pain because of some torment that maybe you're experiencing physically and some health problem. How can you be thankful even in the midst of that? Some of you are going through spiritual difficulty. In any area of your life, God wants to use that painful experience to move you closer to fulfilling the purposes that He has in your life. He doesn't want you to waste it. So before we move any further by opening up the Word of God, and we're going to be in 2 Corinthians this morning. You can turn in your Bibles there. That's where we're going to look, and we're going to see a lot of painful situations in the Apostle Paul's life and how he turned that back to praise for God and what God did in his life. But before we go any further, I have a question that every person in here, you need to answer in some form in your own quietness of your heart and grapple with this question. And here is the question that you need to deal with. Have you grown or are you growing because of the pain that you've experienced in your life? Are you growing because of that? Have you grown because of some pain in the past? Or, and we've been talking about this throughout this series, are you like so many people that will get stuck in their grief and they never move forward? We're not saying, and nor have we said in any week of this series, to get over your pain because you never get over it. What we're saying is God wants to move you through it. He wants to take you through this and walk with you through it. So the question that you really need to grapple with and ask yourself is, am I growing in this? Am I moving forward in this? Or am I stuck in my grief in a place of bitterness? Am I stuck in this specific place where I'm not moving forward and my relationships have become stuck? My walk with God is stuck. You know, um, I'm stuck as a person physically or whatever. Or are you taking steps forward? Are you moving? Are you growing because of your pain? Some of you this morning would say, man, I, I, I I just don't know how to do that. I don't know how to move. I don't know. I don't know if I'm learning from it. I don't know how to grow in it. How do you begin to develop within your pain? We said a few weeks ago that your pain will either destroy you, it will define you, as some people find their identity in that, or we said this, it will develop you. It will begin to develop you into the man that you are or the woman that you are today. Just like Nicky V, okay, because his name is just, I can't say it, all right? But here's what we know about Nick is this, is because of his life, he is able to say that he is the man that he is today because of the pain that he's had in his life. That God has actually used that in his life. And so what I would tell you is this, is that it's never too late to begin to learn from the things that you've been through and to begin to yield those things to God so that God uses them within your life. Pain can be used to move you towards all of these purposes in your life Here's the first thing. If you're taking some notes, write this down right here. Is that God can use the pain that's in my life. He can use that to draw me closer to Him. God can use that kind of pain to draw me closer to Him. When anything bad happens in your life, and it's going to, you then are presented with a choice. What is your response going to be towards what you will encounter? You will be presented with this choice that when something bad happens, you can either run to God and draw closer to Him, or like so many other people, you will run away from God. 
and you will get farther and farther away from Him, which is not what His plan is within your life. By nature, instinctively, when something tragic happens in our lives, usually what are some of the first words that come out of our mouths is, Oh my what? Oh my God. And we're not saying that as a, as, as a, you know, a slang term or whatever. It's literally what often comes out of people's mouths whenever they go through something. Their instinct is to turn to God uh, immediately. But unfortunately, a lot of people will, as they begin to think about things, will turn away from God in times that are difficult in their lives. What we've learned in this series is how can you actually begin to draw close to God in your, in your pain? What we've not been saying is that you should come in here and have a big fake smile on your face, you know, the plastic kind of look where you're pretending that everything is good and you're excited about all the bad things that are happening in your life. Is that what God really wants? No. Is that what we're trying to say? No. What we've been saying that God wants is for you to actually be honest with Him about the way that you're feeling and by the way God can handle it. That He actually wants you, when you are shocked by what it is that you're going through, to express how you're feeling. And it may not be a pretty expression, but God actually receives that as a form of worship. That when you're going through that point of sorrow, that you're to cry out to God in the midst of that sorrow. That when we talked about struggle, that's when the why questions come up. That's when you actually begin arguing with God. That's all a part of a relationship. That means that it's not fake. It means that there's something that's real that's happening. And then you get to the place of surrender where you let go and it is an act of worship. You actually trust Him. Even though with your eyes, tangibly, nothing makes sense around you. But as an act of faith, you say, God, I don't get it. I don't like it. I'm angry about it. But I still am going to praise You and I'm going to trust You. And you know, I can't even see what's happening right now. What this is all about, these are stages of these loss that we've been talking about, stages of the grief that you go through, and all of this, God wants to use these things to draw you closer to Him, and it's actually the deepest form of worship that you can express whenever things are not good in your life, and you don't see things that are good, but you still are going to draw near to Him, you're still going to express things to Him. God receives that as a pure kind of worship because you are worshiping in what the Bible says is spirit and in, help me church, what? Spirit and in truth. Okay? Can we say spirit and truth? Say it with me. Spirit and truth. That's how you're to worship. I mean, don't you know that God just gets sick of all the fake worship that comes in where people won't get real with Him? And in fact, He calls it that often throughout, he talks about that in being that lukewarm kind of Christianity, and it makes him sick. He says he wants to spew it out of his mouth. God wants you to be able to express honestly where you're at. Paul is going to talk in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. We're going to be looking at a few different passages in 2 Corinthians. And this first one, I want to show you where Paul is talking about the Corinthian church as they were going through hardships. Paul was even having to correct them about some false teaching that they had received and were beginning to believe, and some church discipline was happening among them, and Paul said this hardship that they were going through, that they could either let it draw them to God or push them further away from God, but look at what Paul says. I'm going to read this one here in the message here, but this is what Paul says. He says, now I'm glad, not that you were upset, because he said, I'm not excited about the fact that you've been through a lot of hardship. That's not what this series has been about. We're not excited about all the trouble that you've been through. What we're trying to show you is that God wants to use it. 
God can and will use it. He says, no, I'm glad, not that you were upset, but that you were jarred into turning things around. What is it, guys, that will most often jar us into turning things around in our lives? For most of us, it's pain. For most of us, it's a difficulty. Where we're actually forced to do a, a, an inventory of our life and to take a close look. And Paul said, I'm actually glad that you had to go through this because it actually is what spurned you into turning things around a little bit in your life. And look at what he says. You let, in other words, you made a choice, you let the distress bring you to God, not drive you from Him. The result was all gain and no loss, even though maybe you experienced great pain and great loss. It was, it was gain because you drew closer to God. Distress that drives us to God does that, he says. It turns us around. It gets us back in the way of salvation. We never regret that kind of pain. But those who let distress drive them away from God, what does he say? Will you read it with me out loud? Participate with me a little bit this morning. He says, those that drive them away from God say it are what? Are full of regrets and end up on a deathbed of regrets. Those that allow and make this choice to fall further away from God and they run from God rather than run. He says they're full of regrets. And they end up on a deathbed of regrets. And I got to thinking, how many people do you know that have actually come to faith in Christ because of something painful in their life? Many of you, that'd be your testimony. I shared this this morning. My mom and dad were in the first service. My mom and dad both grew up very religious, but they didn't have a relationship with Christ. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. They didn't know Jesus. They knew about Him, but they didn't know Him in a real relationship. And so as I was growing up in their home, and as we started, maybe, maybe started kind of going a little bit back to church because we were an unchurched family at that time, when I was eight years old, my sister Lauren was born, and she was born very premature. In fact, there were times where they didn't know uh, whether Lauren was going to live or not. She was born so early, and she was born with a potassium deficiency. I mean, it was just a very critical situation. She was in the hospital for two and a half to three months after she was born. And there were great times of struggle during that when my mom and dad were driven to a relationship with God. They realized that it was. I looked back on this, and my mom and dad had talked about this. That that was a time in my mother's life where she didn't just want to know about God; she wanted to know Jesus. Independently of that, my dad, on a very dark night in his life, was driven to a place where he came and received the gospel message of Jesus Christ because of some hope that he needed in this despairing time that, that was happening whenever my sister was born with this. And so God used that pain to draw them to Himself. Many people, that's what He does. And, and so that's the first purpose is that if you will allow it, God will take this pain. And it says that He is close to those who are brokenhearted. That He is close to those who are crushed in spirit. And if you'll make the choice, then you can be even more intimate with God in the midst of your pain than you were before you were going through that difficulty. Here's the other thing that it will do. God can use the pain in my life to draw me closer to other people. The people that are in my family, the people that are around me. If you'll allow it, the pain that you've gone through in your life can actually sensitize your heart towards pain that people are going through that are around you. It will mature you in your love if you will allow it. But again, this is a choice. 
you could choose to grow in your pain to be a more loving individual, or you could choose, like so many other people, to become a bitter old soul that nobody wants to be around. That's your choice. And we see that happen over and over again, where people either allow their pain to begin to transform their hearts into being softer towards the people around them, or they become very hardened and very embittered. And again, it's very difficult to be around individuals like that. And those people end up dying often quite lonely and full of regrets. Suffering deepens you. Jill Mullinax, many of you know them, and I've mentioned them in this series as they walk through what they're going through with Malcolm as he's day by day getting closer to to going home to be with the Lord as he's been battling cancer for six years now. He's been battling with this. And what Jill said a couple of weeks ago, and I said I would never forget it, she said, Bart, what God is doing in the midst of all of this, even as Malcolm is now on hospice care, and even as he barely can get out of bed on certain days, and we know it's a matter of days now, we know this, that God has used this to tenderize our hearts to people around us. We see people that are hurting, and they come in, and they are hurting, and they see Malcolm in the state that he's in, and we often end up ministering to them while they're there. Because they see that although we are devastated by the news that we have received, we are not destroyed, right? Like Paul said. It's been developing us. She said it's made us, and Malcolm said this as I visited with him on Thursday, it's made us closer in our marriage and in our relationship than we have ever been in all the years that I was healthy. We've been closer through all of this pain, and that's what it will do. It will draw you closer if you will allow it. I've seen the most stubborn and self-centered, selfish, hardened, embittered individuals become lovers of people because they went through some kind of pain in their life and God used it to tenderize their heart. Kind of like the process that you see whenever you take a tough piece of meat and you want to tenderize it, what do they often do? They take something, they kind of beat it down a little bit. And it becomes tender. And that's what Jill said, is it's tenderized our hearts for people. One thing I can tell you this is that I'm thankful through the loss of my brother-in-law, Dan, and how close our family has gotten since that time. Now, I said this last week, I'm not thankful for it. I'm not thankful for cancer. I'm not thankful for the loss of my brother-in-law. I'm not thankful for that suffering that I see that my sister-in-law go through as she is a single parent now trying to raise four children. I'm not thankful for that, but what I can say in the midst of it and what God is teaching me is that I can, along with the rest of my family, be thankful in it. And there's a big difference. Why am I thankful in it? Because... Now, which we've always been very close, but the relationships that we have are at a level now in, in depth that they have never been at. You know, I, 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 my, my niece, Savannah, I've, I've always known her, obviously, okay? But now there is a level of depth in that relationship that I have with Savannah that I never had beforehand. You know, we actually tell each other that we love each other. We never said that, you know? Um, with Sam and Nate and Isaac is, is, is God is using me just to be a part of their life. Now, I, and that will never replace the loss that they've experienced and the loss of their dad. And, and that's not what I'm trying to say. It doesn't ever replace that. But I can say that I'm thankful that we are able to experience a depth in the love that we have in that relationship that we maybe never would have had. And so God even redeems that. Look at what Paul writes in Galatians 6, too. He says, share 
Share each other's burdens is what Paul tells us. Share each other's burdens. And in this way, as you share in the burdens of those that are around you, what are you doing? You're obeying the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? Love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. What's the second part of it, church? Love your neighbor as yourself. So as you're doing this, you're sharing in this. And there's this fellowship that takes place. This is called fellowship. The deepest kind of fellowship you can ever experience with another human being is the fellowship of suffering. And the way I think of it is you think of maybe someone who's been a couple of guys or, or a couple of ladies that have been through something terrible together. There is a depth in that relationship. It's the fellowship of suffering. You think of maybe guys that were POWs, okay? And there's a brotherhood that they experience, that they have had as they have suffered together. Friday night, I, I uh, was asked to do the invocation at uh, the police department and, and fire department's banquet that night. And as I was there, there was, a, there was this talk of a brotherhood. What is that? That's fellowship. Why? Because there's been deep Deep suffering and those times together. It's a fellowship of suffering. God will use that in your life to draw you closer to other people. Love is so much more than just what happens on Valentine's Day, right? It's more than chocolates and roses and Valentine's. Real love changes bedpans, right? Real love washes feet. Real love is in the midst of those kinds of circumstances. That is a fellowship of suffering, and God will use that. Here's the third thing. If you're taking notes, God can use my pain to make me more like Jesus. We talked about this last week, so I won't spend much time here, but that is called sanctification. The theological term simply means this, to be made to be more like Christ. You were made to be more like Jesus. He will use the pain in your life as an opportunity to grow you in your character. To grow the fruit of the Spirit within you. What is the fruit of the Spirit? It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. How are you going to become a loving person? It's going to be by being placed in situations that are not loving. Right? Well, you have to choose to love. How are you going to become a patient person? It's by learning, by waiting, or driving around here in the Metroplex. Right? That's how you learn patience. How do you learn peace? It's by being in chaos. That's how you learn these kinds of things that God will use. Again, it's a choice. You can either, as it's said, and it's cliche, but it's true, you can either let this pain that has happened in your life make you a bitter person, or it will make you a better person. But it's up to you. And it's up to you deciding that you're going to cooperate with God. God's number one purpose is to make you like Jesus and if He's going to make you like Jesus and you're going to love like Christ and think like Christ and be kind like Christ, truthful like Christ, all of these kinds of things, having the character, the integrity, the generosity of Christ, the humility of Christ, how do you think that's going to happen in your life? It's going to come by you going through the kind of things that Jesus went through. Did Jesus suffer? He suffered. Was He rejected? Yes. Was He spat upon? Yes. Was He misunderstood? Was He betrayed? Did He go through difficulties? All of that is what made Jesus who Jesus was. Did he go through temptations? Absolutely. Look at Hebrews, where the author of Hebrews writes in chapter 5. He says, although he was a son, that's speaking of Jesus, he learned obedience through what he, what does it say, church? He learned obedience through what he suffered. That's how he learned. And being made perfect, he became like the source 
It became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey Him. As I, as I first read that, I didn't really quite grasp that as I was checking this out. I was like, but wait a minute, wasn't Jesus already perfect? Well, absolutely, He was already perfect. So what does this mean? The word perfect there, literally in the translation there, it literally is complete. He was made complete through these things that He endured, that He went through. There are some things that the only way you will ever learn them is through painful situations in your life. You know what I'm talking about? The pain transforms us. It never leaves leaves us where we started. The secret of every successful person, and we want this for you, Uh, we want so much as your pastors for you to live a fulfilled and successful kind of life in the eyes of Jesus, not so much in the eyes of the world, to be everything that God wants you to be, and the key to being successful in anything, in business, in sports, in, in your relationships, in your spiritual journey, the absolute key is this one word right here. It is resilience. It's that you're going to be resilient. And how is it that you can get resilience then? You need to do what Paul did. What did Paul do? Paul gained a proper perspective of his life. As he was giving a defense of his apostleship, some within the Corinthian church were, uh, were accusing him of things and questioning him, which that also hurt him deeply. And Paul said this, he used his pain as a testimony of what God was doing. In chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians, verse 23, I want you to see what Paul had to say, okay? This is what Paul said. He said, I have worked harder. I've been put in prison more often. I've been whipped times without number and faced death again and again. Five different times, the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. That's at least 195 scars on Paul's back. Okay, besides all the beatings that he took. He said, three times, I thought this was, well, he goes on, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, which means they took rocks and they threw rocks at him and they left him for dead on the garbage heap on the outskirts of the town. And Paul even got up from that where they thought he was dead. It says, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked. Now, at some point I'd be going, wouldn't one shipwreck be enough, God? Okay, three times he says, man, this happened to me. I mean, after the second time, I'm thinking, I'm not riding anywhere with Paul on a ship, okay, is what I'm thinking. But three times I was shipwrecked is, is what he ends up saying here. Uh, once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. Now, for someone like me that's terrified of sharks, that is enough emotional torment in and of itself, wondering if you're going to be bitten in half the whole time. I have traveled on many long journeys. I have faced danger from rivers and from robbers. He's quite the alliterator there, too. I faced danger from my own people the Jews, which that hurt him, as well as from the Gentiles. I faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. Paul's saying there's never been a place that I haven't been where I didn't suffer. And everywhere I've gone, I've suffered for the name of Christ. And I've faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I've worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I've been hungry and thirsty and have often gone without food. I've shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. And then besides all of this, he says, I have the daily burden of my concern for all of the churches. He was a church planner, and he knew that the wolves were coming in to attack those that were new in their faith 
And this was what Paul was grappling with spiritually and emotionally. And you think you had a bad day. Look at what Paul's going through. If anybody had the right to complain, this laundry list of terrible things happened in his life all while he's trying to serve God. What was the secret to his resistance in pressing on? What was it that made him so resilient and determined to bounce back no matter how things got in his life? What was it? It was all in his perspective. Paul knew that there was purpose in his pain. He didn't have a, a worldly viewpoint about what was happening in his life, but rather he saw things from God's viewpoint. He looked not at just his temporal pain, but he knew that God was working in all of this for eternal purposes. Paul had a different kind of perspective. You see, you can handle unbelievable pain in your life as long as you know that it has a purpose, right? Moms, as you gave birth, you knew that that was incredible pain that you were enduring, but you knew that it had a great purpose that was going to bring something great in your life. As long as we understand that there's purpose and we don't feel like it's pointless in our life, that's what helps us be resilient. That's what helps us keep going as we understand that God is at work and even when we can't see it. Even when we can't see it with our eyes. So we've got these purposes of being drawn closer to Him in relationship. It's worship. And we are closer to other people. That's fellowship. And we're made to look more like Jesus. That's ministry. Let me give you just a few more things as we wrap this up. And then we're going to have communion together. God also wants to use the pain that's in your life to help others. To help people that are around you. That's the purpose of service. That's the purpose of ministry. It's that you suffer for the benefit of others. It's the highest and the best use of your pain. We started the series by this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and I want to wrap it up with this series right here. This is what Paul says. He's giving this great defense of his apostleship. As he's suffering so much, and the Corinthian church is suffering, Paul is going to say this. By the way, one of the things that they said about Paul was they said, the reason you're suffering is because you must not have the favor of God upon you, so you're suffering. And Paul's going to say, that's a bunch of junk. Okay? And so this is what he says right here in verse 3. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father, and what does it say? And the source of all comfort. See, what some of us will do is we'll try to find comfort in everything else except for God. But God is the only source. If you're trying to find it in alcohol, or in food, or in drugs, or in work, or fulfillment, and in all of those kinds of things, you're not going to find the comfort that's lasting God is the source of all comfort. And so Paul says this. He is the source of our comfort. If, if I were, if I deserved all this, Paul is saying, then why would God be comforting me? Verse 4, He comforts us in all our troubles. Now say the next part with me out loud. So that we can what? Comfort others. He comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort that God has given us. That's exactly what's going on with Malcolm and Till right now. As people are going through hardships in their life, when they come to see them, they end up ministering to them. People often leave, and, and we said this when we left this week, I said, I've been ministered to by them today. They've ministered to me um, as I watch them go through what they go through. Verse 5, For the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with His comfort through Christ even when we are weighed down with troubles, look, he sees a purpose in it. It is for your comfort. 
and even for your salvation. For some of you to come to know the Lord. For when we ourselves are comforted, we will certainly comfort you. Then you can do what? Patiently endure the same things we suffer. We're confident that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share the comfort that God gives us. And how does God give comfort to other people? It's often through you, Christian. That's what He does. Through you. This is just common sense 101 right here. Who is going to best understand a parent who has a special, special needs child than another parent who has a special needs child? You follow me? Who is going to best understand the kind of pain that somebody who has a medical condition, like they're battling cancer, or they're battling something else, than someone who's been through that kind of pain in their life? Who's going to best understand someone who is, is, is divorced and going through the loneliness of divorce than a person who is going through that or who has been through that and understands the pain that goes along with that? Who's going to best be able to understand someone who's lost a spouse or who has lost a child? Even? Someone that has endured that kind of trauma and that kind of pain. God wants to redeem the pain in your life and bring comfort to others. In fact, I would even tell you this, that in the midst of your grief, part of your healing is going to be through your ministry to people around you who are going through those same kinds of things. You won't begin to heal until you start ministering to others. God doesn't want to waste your hurt. I would take it one step further, that if you are a Christian, I would even tell you this, there is, because you belong to Christ, you don't belong to yourself anymore, right? You've been bought with a Christ, with, with a price which was Christ's blood. Here's what I would tell you this, and don't receive this the wrong way, but it is true, okay? There is, in fact, even a stewardship that you have that comes along with your pain. Which means that God wants you to use that in the right kind of way in your life. There's a stewardship that comes along with it. You're not your own anymore. Don't waste your hurt. Don't hide your hurt. Let God begin to heal it and let God recycle it in your life for others. Here's the final thing, okay? God wants to use what's going on in your life to be a witness to the world around you. You see, when, when we start talking about evangelism, both people who are Christians as well as non-Christians get really uncomfortable when you start talking about that. But whenever it begins to happen, things begin to happen in your life that are difficult all right, evangelism, this, this is a word that comes from the Greek word, it's euangelion, which is where we get evangelism, which actually means this, good news. That there's good news that you have even in your life. And I would tell you that the highest form of witnessing comes from a person who is going through pain. And yet in the midst of their pain, there's still some kind of hope that, that is that is demonstrated in their life. Again, I go back to Malcolm and Jill who have told us as their pastors above everything else, this has been their prayer as they go through this battle with cancer. They said, Lord, please use our pain. This is their prayer. Use our pain and our suffering to draw people who are in our lives that we know that don't know the Lord, that, that, that you would use this to draw them to know Christ in their lives in this difficult time, that they would understand that the peace that we have right now is the same kind of peace that God wants to give them. This week when we sat with them, 
we sat with him on Thursday. And you don't quite often, as a pastor, have this kind of opportunity. But on Thursday, I sat with Malcolm and Jill, and we planned Malcolm's funeral. Oftentimes, a funeral is planned when that person is gone, right? But I sat with them, and I took Pastor Danny with me, and Pastor Randy showed up a little bit later in the talk. I took Pastor Danny because Pastor Danny is newer at this, and he's not quite been through these kinds of experiences, and I wanted him to learn. And I want to tell you this. There was more laughter in that meeting than I could ever recall. I, I haven't laughed so hard because of the kinds of things that Malcolm was saying. He just is an amazing man of God. And his perspective about what he's going through is so grounded in Christ. And I want to tell you this. The fear of death is gone. He doesn't have a fear of death. Which transformed the whole meeting where you're kind of going in just going, this is going to be really hard. We're going to be planning this guy's funeral with him. Okay? Malcolm, by the way, and he, if you know him, he has an incredible sense of humor. He may be physically broken right now, but his sense of humor is fully intact, I assure you that. He told me this. He said, if you screw this funeral up, I will never have another funeral with you again. Pastor Danny was looking at me, can I laugh, man? I was rolling, okay? He's like, can we actually laugh? And we were rolling in that meeting because of the things that he was telling me. He said that they had gone over to, to pick out the casket that, that he was going to be buried in, and which was not like the most exciting thing to get to do, right? But as he was going over there, Jill was really upset. And Malcolm, because of the man that he is, wanted to comfort his wife, so he did what he did best. He starts cracking jokes to make her laugh because that's what he does. He walks up to one of the, the coffins there. He says, first of all, what's the cheapest one you've got? Like he was dealing, you know, with a car dealer or something like that. He walk, Or actually, he didn't walk up. He rolled up to it in his wheelchair. He goes up to it and he says, this is the cheapest one you got? He kicks the tires on it, okay? He kicks the tires that it, the, on the cart there. And he's like, you know, and she was like, honey, I don't want you. What, when they left, they had such a perspective. He said, I'm going to be in heaven. She said, you are going to be in heaven. She said, you're going to see my mother in heaven. You're going to see your mother in heaven. You're going to see my mammal. You're going to, I want you to tell my mammal this. And I want you to tell Uncle so-and-so this and all this. And Malcolm said, he said, honey, you've got to stop. I'm going to have to put post-it notes on me in the casket because I try to remember all the things you want me to do while I'm up there. All right, so I'm trying to tell you guys all this because of the perspective that he has People are not drawn so much to the success and the prosperity in your life as much as they are drawn to the witness that you have and the adversity in your life. And the peace that you have in the hard times in your life. They're drawn to Christ in times where you suffer and you suffer well. That's when they are drawn to Christ. Not by how you came to Jesus and now you have it all together. Because you don't. Okay? They're drawn to Christ when they see how you have a real relationship with Him. Your weaknesses will actually gain a hearing more than your strengths. How can Malcolm and, and Jill have laughter and joy and peace and smiles on their faces? Do they cry? Yes, they cry every day. But how can they still have this kind of peace in their life? It's because... They know it's not the end. Their perspective is different. You can have that same kind of perspective no matter what you're dealing with. 
Philippians 1, Paul again, he says in verse 12, he says, And I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, by the way, he was in prison when he wrote this. He'd been beaten. He'd suffered much. He says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped spread the good news. That people are coming to faith in Christ because of this. It's an amazing perspective. All of the pain and the accusations and the suffering that I've been through, God is redeeming it. God is using it. People are coming to faith in Christ. People are being inspired. You have the same choice that that Nick did at the beginning of the series, that Paul did, that Malchus. You have the same choice to allow God to use this pain that's in your life for something good. Here's the final scripture I want to share with you, and then we're going to share in communion together this morning. Paul writes this. He writes to the church at Corinth in chapter 6, verse 3. He says this as he's making this defense of his apostleship. We live in such a way that no one will stumble because of us. Not even as we suffer, he's saying. Not even when the times are good, but especially when times are bad. No one will find fault with our ministry in everything we do. Even the hardships, he's saying, we show that we are true ministers of God. So how is Paul going to do that? He's going to show that he's true by this right here. We patiently endure troubles and hardships and calamities of every kind. We have been beaten, have been put in prison, have faced angry mobs, worked to exhaustion, endured sleepless nights, and have gone without food. We prove ourselves by our, what church? By our purity. We're faithful is what he's saying. By our purity, our understanding, our patience, our kindness. We've not become embittered because of the hardships. We've let God tenderize us by the Holy Spirit that's at work within us. And by our sincere love. In other words, they're real. They're not fake. They're living this kind of life. And he says, we faithfully preach the truth. God's power is working in us. In your pain. Don't waste your pain. Your deepest life message will often come from the biggest pain that you've experienced. Your biggest life message will often come from the greatest struggle you've had. If it's been a struggle with some kind of addiction, God wants to redeem that in your life. And God wants to use that to minister to people who have addictions. Do you know that? God wants to use the loss that you've experienced in your life and to be a ministry to others around you. Don't waste your pain. Jesus didn't waste his pain. The greatest witness of God's love for you and for me came in the suffering of Jesus when his body was broken, when his blood was spilled. The miracles are awesome, yes. The teachings we still teach and they impact our lives greatly, but how do you relate the greatest to Jesus Christ is by knowing that his body was broken for you his blood was spilled for you so that you could have a relationship with God if you believe on Him in faith. As we close today, we're going to close by remembering and giving thanks for all that Jesus has done for us. For all that He's done, we're going to remember His sacrifice on the cross and the pain and the suffering that He went through for you and for me that changed our lives because of His suffering. When we suffer in this broken world around us, He said, I've overcome the world. Because of His suffering, 
we can actually suffer with a new kind of perspective, an eternal perspective, and that would not be possible without the death of Jesus. You couldn't have this hope if Jesus hadn't died for your sins and been raised from the dead. I don't know what it is that you're going through today. Some of you are going through something very difficult. Some of you have just been through something challenging. But you have an opportunity today in this time of communion to do something that most people wouldn't understand. And that is to choose to give thanks to God in whatever circumstance you find yourself in. And how do you do that? Because He's changed your perspective. You know this isn't the end. This is temporary. So in a moment, I'm going to pray. And after I pray, as you feel led by the Holy Spirit, we're going to ask you, there are stations in front and stations in back. We're going to ask you to come down the center aisle and to peel out the whatever side you're sitting on, to peel off and go back to your seat. If you are a Christian, communion is for Christians. It's not, uh, you don't have to be a member of our church or anything like that, but it is for believers, for those who are Christians. And this morning, as you take the bread, and as you take the cup that's filled with juice, and as you bite down on that bread, you remember the brokenness of Christ and His suffering and what it produced for you. As you take that cup and you drink of that juice and you taste that and you think of that, you think of the blood that was spilled for you and the suffering that you have profited for because of that. This morning, as we do this, I'm going to give you a moment to pray, okay? And then you're going to go back to your seats. As you take it and go back to your seats, you can have it with your family. You can have it individually. You may want to lead others in it and you receive it together. It's communion. That means community. We're receiving it together, but make it a powerful time of worship. And then we're going to sing a song. And then we're going to go on our way in Thanksgiving this this morning. I'm going to ask you just to bow your heads with me right now, okay? If you're a Christian this morning, I want to give you this moment and this opportunity just begin to pray to God. For some of you, maybe you have been far away from God. And there's been some pain in your life and you made a choice to run away from God because you didn't know what to do. Maybe you're angry. I understand that. But this morning, God wants to give you this opportunity restore your relationship with Him. And His forgiveness is great. And He's been pursuing you even as you ran. He pursues you. Why? It's called His Hesed love. It's a pursuing love. He comes after you because He loves you. For some of you, you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. Jesus died for you so that you could have eternal life. You don't have to walk down the aisle to receive Him. You don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to talk to me. In faith, you can call on Jesus to be your Savior. Say, I don't even get it all, but I know that He's drawing me to Him. You might just say, Dear Lord, save me. Be my Savior. God, I don't understand it all, but I know that You are who You say You are. God, I want to receive Your grace and faith. I want to receive this salvation today that you offer me. You're saved by God's grace through faith. It's not of yourself. It's not how often you come to church, 
how good of a person you are, how much you give. You can't save yourself. Jesus did it for you. He paid it all. Some of you, as you're going through your hurt this morning, would you make this an offering, a sacrifice before God to say, Lord, I don't get it now. I'm struggling right now. I trust you. And I bring you this offering of my pain in faith. And I'm asking you to use it for your glory. I'm asking you to make me more like Jesus. Just tell him right now that you love him. Give him thanks in your circumstances, not for them, but in them. So whenever I finish praying, you can then begin to move forward as the Lord leads you to receive communion and take it back to your seats. And we're going to sing. If you have an offering this morning, you can put them in the baskets down here or on the boxes on the wall. You don't have to bring an offering to receive communion. It's just another form of worship is bringing your offering before God. Let me pray for us, okay? God, we have treaded some deep waters, Lord, these past weeks as we've learned about pain in our life and what you want to do with it. We've looked at shock and sorrow and struggle and surrender and sanctification. And Lord, we've looked this week at service and how you want to use our pain, Lord, to be a ministry to people around us. You don't want to waste the pain that's in our life. You don't want us to waste it, Lord, in cooperation with you. You want to use it. Lord, it's because of your suffering on the cross that we can have a whole new perspective on what happens in our life because of your body that was broken. You took the pain, Lord, that was for us. It's because of the blood that was spilled where Scripture says, Lord, there's no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. Your life blood was shed for us so that we can have the hope of eternal life. So that when we grieve, we can grieve with hope. And so, Lord, as we receive this Holy Communion today, we give thanks as an act of worship that we pray will be a fragrant offering and pleasing to you today. It's in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen. You can begin moving towards coming and receiving the communion elements and going back to your seat.